Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles. And this week I have roped in the one and only Jonathan Mayberry to come in and talk a bit about the publishing business, the big side of it. And so before we go too far down that line, um, I'll let Jonathan pick which parts of that long repertoire he wants to talk about as an intro. <laughs> All right. Well, since we are talking about business, let me just give a little quick uh, sketch of what I've been in the business. I'm a New York Times bestselling author, uh, 47 novels in the can, writing number 48 now. I write short stories. I edit anthologies. Um, I write comic books for Marvel, IDW, and Dark Horse. I also teach writing in a lot of different ways. And prior to being an, uh, a novelist, I was a nonfiction writer, uh, wrote you know, over a thousand feature articles, a couple thousand fillers and reviews, nonfiction books. I've been in a lot of different areas of the writing business, greeting cards, plays, all sorts of stuff. So it's given me a, a, a really comfortable perspective on how the business works and more importantly, how the business evolves. Because, you know, my first novel came out in 2006 and the publishing landscape now is not the same publishing landscape it was then. And I actually kind of enjoy rolling with those changes rather than trying to resist them because they're not comfortable. So a bit of everything. And it's kind of where I am. I've done a lot more nonfiction than fiction. Fiction kind of keeps my insanity, but nonfiction, of course, does a whole lot more. But so if you were looking at somebody who is coming up today and saying, I just want to get in the business, because, you know, when I first started, the first thing I ever sold would have been about 1987, 88, somewhere in there, a couple of hundred years ago, mm. which so it's obviously a very different landscape. Um, and I get in a lot of conversations about do you want to go traditionally published? Do you want to go um, are you wanting to go indie? Are you wanting to go some version of hybrid? Are you wanting to go short? Are you wanting to go long? Agents, publishers, you know, everything changes almost, it seems like, on a quarterly basis these days. Yeah. So somebody walked in the door and said, okay, where do I start? Well, it would depend on whether what kind of material they have. If they're um trying to sell a novel, you know, one bit of advice goes that way. If they want to break into short fiction or whatever. Um, but let's, let's, for example, say they, they have a novel they want to sell. Um, I almost always recommend that somebody first get the thing like heavily edited, you know, pay for a good editor and, you know, really work with that editor to make sure that the thing is not only, you know, typo free, that, that that's, that's actually the lesser part of it, though still important, but structurally in you know, sound. Um, and then, I just, you know, start looking for an agent. And I really, really have a, a, a lot of faith in agents. It takes a while to find an agent that works for you and will work with you rather than an agent who is just a, a name at the end of an email chain or something. Um, an agent should be your business partner. You have, you develop a relationship with them. So that's, that's really, you know, how I, you know, how I would have somebody get started. If they, you know, one of the things I ask, depending on, on how, uh, how much I perceive them to be open-minded for a conversation. I ask them, you know, well, are you okay with editors coming in and suggesting changes? Are you okay with a publisher wanting to make some changes, uh, asking you to make changes? Or do you really not want anyone to touch your stuff? Because if the answer is the latter, then indie publishing is, is the way to go. Though 
even that you should hire an editor to make your, your stuff as tight as it can be. But some people don't, they don't want to spend, they give up that 15% of their income to their agent and they don't want to um, have anyone's hands on it or tell them what to write. That is not the attitude that will get you far in publishing, especially the traditional side of publishing. Um, I'm not precious about my own work. If there are, you know, if an editor comes at me with 10 suggestions for changes, I may do seven or eight of them and I may not do the others. I, you know, you have the right not to, but I don't say that my, you know, what I write is wholly writ and it cannot be touched. Um, and there are people who, who really don't want their stuff touched. Then any publishing is great. Yeah. I mean, I will reiterate. I mean, because again, I am a firm believer in turning editors loose on stuff. I've, in fact, I just spent the weekend, a good chunk of the weekend with one of mine going through uh, a collection we're working on. And it's like, go forth and conquer. Hack slash. I I grew up with my mother mother being an English teacher, so I I grew up underneath the threat of the red pen, and that was whether I wanted it or not. So maybe I I learned at a young age not to have feelings. Um, well, I actually, I you know I went to school for journalism, and uh, journalism professors tend not to have human emotions. Mm -hmm. um, I think they're all cyborgs, possibly. Or they're bored, which is really even more possible. Um, and I'm using, you know, one of the classes was taking criticism. It was an editing class, but we, it was a bias toward how to take edits and work with the editor to make the version of that work the most saleable it can be. And you can't have a thin skin and work with editors. I mean, not unless you want to cripple your editor by being having them afraid to tell you something. No, I mean... I. And one of the things that did a lot for me was early on was learning to write tight and write fast, because if you're covering media, mm -hmm. you know, especially back in those days where you were cutting and printing and layering and putting on the light board and going through the entire process, um, because I was both a writer and a photographer, the amount of time you had between when something happened and it was going to print, you really didn't have a whole lot of time to, to screw around. And nope learning to write in that environment will teach you to write pretty tightly and yeah. pretty cleanly. It also teaches you not to buy into the um, mythologizing that, that cripples some writers, you know, the whole thing about waiting for the muse, that's just horseshit. I mean, don't, don't even go there with me. Could you imagine telling your editor, if you work for a newspaper, you know, I can't cover that five alarm fire because it's not speaking to me. I'm not feeling the fire. You'd be working at Wendy's the next day. I mean, there's just no way that's going to happen. And and I see it with, with writers who spend so much time planning to write, thinking about writing, talking about writing, but not actually writing because they're waiting for the mood to hit them. Screw that. You know, the, the, the advice we got from uh, journalism school that I carry through into my fiction career is write it quick and dirty, fix it in a rewrite. And that, that works really well. Um, you don't have time to be, you don't have time to get in your own way. And a lot of writers get in their own way by making it too difficult and buying into the mythology and a lot of the propaganda that goes into the writing world. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about writing and process and, and sure. that creative side of stuff, because I, I think you're dead on. It's because it's not just about creative, creative business, it's not just about writing or art. Right. Most people get in their own way, period. And, and that's one of the biggest problems is when I work with entrepreneurs, business owners, 
not only creatives, but I mean, I've, you know, I've done the same thing with attorneys and healthcare people. They mm -hmm. get in their own way. And it's that guilt about it for whatever reason that goes on. How do you not get in your own way? What What is it that shoves people through for you? Well, the, 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 I guess part of it is sitting down and wondering, you know, making a list of what are my actual goals in writing? Do I want to just see my name in print? Or if that's the case, Vanity Press is waiting for you. Do I want to put a book out there that people will enjoy, that people will read and say, my God, this, this is this is really good stuff. And I, I want to read more of that writer. Well, that's a whole different approach then, because then you have an obligation to the reader to make sure that your work is as good as possible. They aren't there just to pay you for a book. They're there to read and enjoy the book, to feel that what they've paid in coin and in time has been, you know, has been repaid in the value and the, the quality of the work. If you don't keep that in mind, you're, you're, you will be getting in your own way by, by, by trying to satisfy too much of your goal of perfection, which, you know, nobody has written a perfect novel, not even, not even Shirley Jackson with the, uh, the, uh, the Haunting of Hill House. Close to perfect, but there's no such thing as a perfect novel. Stop trying to write perfect. Try to write the best you can write right now. Um, taking yourself off the hook for not being perfect is one of the ways you can prevent yourself from getting in your own way. Um, also, taking the time to learn the difference between writing and publishing. And I got that lesson really well uh, from Ray Bradbury when I was 13. He said, writing is an art. It's the intimate conversation between writer and reader. It's all about art. Publishing is a business whose sole concern is to sell copies of art. People in publishing may love books, but at the end of the day, their business is mercantile. They have to sell copies of that book. An editor's career depends on the books he or she acquires selling enough copies for you know that part, that editor to get you know paid, get raised, get promoted, whatever. Um, they don't do it just because they they love a book. They have to see its value as a saleable commodity. And if you don't understand that about publishing, you'll always get your your feelings hurt because you think it's you know a rejection is about you. It's not. I mean, unless an editor actually writes a note to you and says you couldn't write your name in the sand with a stick. If you submit anything else again, I'll have you killed. That you can take personally. But something like you know the the really common email response is you know, doesn't fit our editorial needs at this time means exactly that. It doesn't fit what the editor is looking for at that moment, period. Don't read into it more. Reading in more into it is putting your emotions out there, putting, making yourself a victim for rejection. That's not that. If rejection comes in, you find another place to send it out to that day. You don't pause. You just do that because that's what business does. If somebody were to walk into a car dealership, look at the car and then walk out again, you don't sit in the corner and cry about it. You wait for the next customer to come in or you do something that will encourage the next customer to come in. That's business. So writing is art, publishing is business. And you have to be, you have to know both really well, not just the art. You have to know the business part. Well, and that's one of the things that I get and deal with a lot is people that know and understand what they're doing as a craft. And they've got it down, but are not willing to accept the money side of it. Um, I'm, that's the next book I'm working on right now and trying to get out the door is that relationship between art and money and getting over the fact that if you're putting something out of value, there's a reason for people to buy it. Right. 
if you're putting out quality stuff, there's an audience for it. You just have to find it. Right, which means you also have to understand marketing and social media. Being a good writer is about one third of what it takes to be a successful writer. You know, the the, the craft of fiction, learning the elements of craft and all that, that's one third of it. And you have to be good at that. You also have to understand publishing, as I mentioned. And the third thing is you have to understand marketing, which is these days is largely social media driven. Um, if you if you are not positioned on social media, you will not be successful as a writer. Not not today. You may have been a successful writer before social media if you if you've been doing it for a long time, but you will probably notice a dwindling proportion of sales um, these days. Like I, my own agent and many agents uh, I know will not even read a query if there is not um, a tag for a website uh, or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or something on there to show that you understand the value of social media for getting the message out. And um, so you need to do all three components and you need to be good at them and find fun in being good at them. When you're, so if you look at the landscape today, um, in fact, that's the, sh the show we just did the other night on Continual was to talk about social media landscape for 2023 okay. and how this landscape is changing so quickly because of technology, how social media, governments, laws, all of this are coming in to kind of start even constraining it more than what we've seen. Mm -hmm. um, what's your plan and what's your view on social media for, for 2023? Well, I mean, 2022, and I'll start there, made everybody nervous because of what Elon Musk was doing with Twitter. And if you notice, Elon Musk has pulled way back from Twitter. I think the stockholders showed up with pitchforks and torches. Um, because he was he was damaging the product he had just spent a lot of money on. He stepped back from it, and now it's kind of settling back into a closer version of what it was rather than what we were afraid it was going to become. Yes, there are still some assholes on there, but you don't have to subscribe to their feeds or respond to them. The, commu the creative communities, the book world, the library people, the bloggers, all of them are still doing the same stuff they were doing before. Jumping ship is not a good plan observing the changes, maybe reading the media about it is, but it's it's going to settle down. It's like the market. It goes up and down, but eventually it corrects. Social media corrects too. Instagram is still useful for driving graphic-based posts. Facebook is very useful for driving conversations. And Instagram is great for driving, you know, quick there and it's gone buzz. Those three are really important. And it's also important to have a website. Um, social media... You can tell when something is uh, like going to fade quickly, like TikTok got really big, really big. Then it got badly misused. Um, there's a lot of litigation going on about it. Uh, I never got involved in it. I, I read about it and I even considered getting involved because book talk was such a big thing. Hashtag book talk. But we're already seeing that starting to cave back in on itself. You look at the, at, at the platforms that have been steady for years that's the kind of the best stable platforms to try. Flash in the pan things, if if it settles down to become a useful thing, okay, sure. But those three I mentioned, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook, they've been steady for years. And um, I'm going to stick with them. And I advocate that every writer who I you know advise get set up on those even before they go out and, and look for an agent. You want actually follow what what the name means social media you want to be social on it you want to engage 
um, engagement, you know, being really huge. So you're not on there just to sell product. You're on there to be a person to interact with whatever version of the community you found, whether it's uh, other writers, though we should include um, uh, readers, book bloggers, librarians, booksellers, and so on in your friends group, engage with them, you know, and talk about things other than your own book most of the time. And, you know, use it for sales when you want, when you need to. But engagement is is really, you know, the key because that is networking and networking drives any kind of business. When, and I, I absolutely agree because when I started talking about some stuff a number of years ago, one of the biggest things I've talked about with writing and, and got introduced to as a concept a long time ago is co-creation. Between you and the reader, it's a co-creation experience. Sure. I can write it. I can be as descriptive as I want. But no two readers are going to read that story exactly the same way. They're not going to see the character the same way. They're not going to perceive settings the same way because of all the filters it goes through. Social media offers us a potential ability for people to learn more about who we are and who they're letting in their heads. Because mm-hmm. readers nowadays are much more cognizant of they're letting somebody, their ideas, their everything about them into their head and potentially be a big influence, even on short stories, even on stuff, because we've seen work be extraordinarily influential. And then as people share views, sometimes that's what gets them in trouble. But again, that becomes part of the co-creation experience because I've had people tell me, when I read your stuff, then I hear your voice. I can hear the snarky tone that you used when you wrote that sentence. Uh, And the ability to hear that voice and have that shared experience, I think, is important because people then get to know you, the creator, you, the writer. And it's the old adage of, you know, the old adage is people buy from people they like, know, and trust. And I've got different takes on that. But fundamentally, it's about who do you feel like you have a relationship with and who you want to support? Yeah, and that and that speaks to branding. Um, when, when I, you know, I got I got involved in social media at its at the beginning. I mean, it, it kind of started right around the time I started publishing fiction. So you know, I was originally on Friendster and MySpace, and you know, migrated over. But along the way, I, I started paying attention to some of my favorite writers and their social media uh, platforms, and and made decisions on why I, I would go more often to this person's page and not somebody else's page, even if I knew and liked the other person more, what, you know, I may not want to go to their page. Well, sometimes it's because it's clear that somebody, the person is on there just to sell. Well, I don't, I don't want to be in a showroom. I want to be in a conversation. Um, second, you know, some people think that, you know, snark is fine. I'm a pretty snarky guy myself, but snark is not mean. And there are some people who don't quite get the difference between fun sarcasm and mean spirited sarcasm. So you have to decide what qualities about yourself do you want to uh, project? You know, I'm, I'm affable. You know, I, I, I'm a fairly agreeable person to begin with. Um, I'm not the kind of person to, to start throwing punches. Um, I know I, I come off as, uh, you know, a pop culture goof. I am a pop culture goof. So I want that to, 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 you know, flavor it. And I, you know, I'm also educated and, and reasonably intelligent. I want that to come through. Um, I, I am supportive of my fellow writers. So you will never see me slam somebody else's book on social media. If there is a book I don't like, I, I simply won't recommend it, but I'm not going to go after the writer. 
And that's true of, you know, anything. I used to do uh, book and movie reviews way, way, way back. I stopped doing that when I started putting out books. I don't think it's a good idea for a writer to be a reviewer. Um, it's career dangerous because you can, you're defined by what you said about somebody's book. So if you, if you see a, re read a book and, and you give it a, a three or two star rating because you didn't like it, well, everyone associated with that book, the readers, the writer, the writer's agent, the publisher, everyone at the publishing house and the booksellers are now pissed off at you as a writer for throwing stones at, at the project they got behind. That's not making you any friends. So why do it? What's the value to you in doing that? Um, you know, you, you have two or three people who follow you and like, like that level of, of uh, bitter, you know, uh, reproachful stuff. No, yeah, it's, it's not, not going to do you any good. Also, um, uh, I, you have to make decisions about how much of your personal life is going to come through. You want some of it to come through because they, you want them to know you as a person. I talk about some fun things in my life. I talk about my dog. I show pictures of my dog. Some once in a while, I'll, I'll I'll throw up a photo of my son after I've asked him if it's okay. He's an adult, not a kid. If he was a child, a minor, I would never put his picture on social media. Not at all. Um, I, my wife does not like to be on social media, so I don't put her photos up. Um, you ask people. So what they see is they do see I'm a family man. I talk about my family, but I don't always have to show pictures of them. I talk about, you know, living in Southern California, but it's not a brag. It's a share. And there is a difference between the two. You know, recently I've been putting up photos of the beach every morning because I've been going to the beach, which is about a half mile from my house um, at dawn every day. And, you know, lately I've been seeing, I saw a, a humpback whale the other day. I got a photo of his tail. Threw that on social media. Of course I did. But it's not, look at me, I can afford to live by the, the, the ocean. It's, oh, my God, well, you know, it's a different take because it's it's shared fun and somewhat shared joy as opposed to bragging about what I have. So you have to look at how your branding might be coming off to someone. And if it is coming off either too harsh, too braggy, too whatever, too self-centered, change it. Fix that tone adjust your brand so that it is a comfortable one. You want people to know that every day they can come to your page, look at your post and not feel attacked, offended, or, or pitched to every day. Um, and that's really important. So setting brand is very, very important when you're involved in social media because it makes people want to know who you are. And the loyalty is not to your book. The loyalty is to the writer. We are the brand. The book is a byproduct of our brand. So if you focus too much on the book, like I had a book come out last week. Um, some of my posts last week, when it first came out, yes, there were a bunch of posts about it. Sure. But since then, about one out of every eight posts or nine posts is about the book. I find other things to talk about, too. So I don't inundate people. And as a result, I'm not chasing them off. And I think that, again, especially when we look at the world today, one of the most important things is people are reading fiction, especially for escape, for joy, for experience. Is And again, you kind of have to make that choice. Do you go and post the political things, the pieces that are going to be divisive because that's what you believe in enough? Or are you out there to cultivate the business? 
but it's really hard to navigate both those out. You know, yeah, and you have to make a decision as to what the purpose is of your social media. If you want to talk politics, um, then you probably shouldn't be using that same social media platform to talk about your books because there are people on both sides. I, within my own family, we, we have people on all sides of the political issue. You know, I, I got involved a couple of times talking politics in, in the hopes that I could create a, 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 and moderate a reasoned debate. Turns out it's not the climate for it, so I stopped doing it. Um, and I, I generally didn't even put my personal politics in the conversation. I wanted to see if people could talk about a topic without fighting. Right now is not the time for it. They are people want the fight more than they want the, the conversation. So I just erased. I took all that stuff, edited out of my social media message, and and focus on my my books and the pop culture stuff that I like sharing with my friends. Um, so if if politics matter more to you, what I recommend, if you really want to talk politics, create a a dedicated group and invite folks in who want to talk about politics with you. One of the closed groups, it makes it a little harder to find. But anything that's branded with your name on it should not be that unless you are in politics. Well, having been a political writer over the years, I, Me too. none of that is under my own name. Uh, thankfully, none of that is, well, most, most of that at least is not under my own name over the years. So looking at kind of the world for a writer, um, you know, coming in and people who have been around for a while, what are kind of some of the things that you see that really contribute to the people that find that success versus the people that necessarily don't or have a, have a blip and then fall off the radar? You know, what is kind of that general writer that really is the, the long-term successful writer? Well, part of it is things I've talked about in terms of branding. Um, demonstrating a couple of the things that I know have helped me along that I didn't do for the effect on my career, but I have noticed the effect on my career. A while ago, since I, you know, I, I, I love talking with my buddies about what they write. So I started stra strings where I would say, or threads on Facebook where I would say, you know, tell me about your latest work in progress. And it would sort of conversation. People would throw stuff up. I would invite them to put links up there. I would I would put up things like tell it, you know, if you have something new out, post a link where so we know about it, we're gonna get it. It's another thread. But sometimes it's it's things like, you know, I'll I'll put up something like the tell me something I don't know. They don't know what I know, so they'll throw up all sorts of stuff. I'm a trivia nut anyway. I love this stuff. And, and since I dedicated dedicate five to ten minutes out of each writing hour for social media, <clears throat> if I post something, say at nine nine fifty. Well, at 10.50, I'll come back and see if anybody's posted. And if there, are if there are posts there where I think I can add either an interesting response to it or maybe a little bit of fun, you know, comedy thing to it, I'll do that with a number of them. But I'll like all the posts that are made. And, you know, it, it, I, I read them. I hit like if I really like it. Um, and I tend to hit like a lot, though, because I, I like the fact that people are engaging the conversation. And I do this with, with some degree of regularity. And as a result, people know that they can do that. I also do things where, like, I, I, I listen to music when I write. So every time I start a new book project, I'll, I'll say, okay, I need a playlist to listen to while I write this book. And, you know, give me suggestions. I'll tell them what the theme is. Give me suggestions and give me a, mu a link to, to, to YouTube or wherever. Hundreds of these will show up. In fact, I've started putting them in the backs of my novels, the, the complete playlists. Um, 
I'll I'll ask them, you know, show me a, if I have nothing else to say, show me a picture of your of your pet. Because they know I'm a I'm a I'm a nut for for dogs. I love my dog. I used to have a cat, loved my cat, but I like dogs more. I want to see other people's dogs. I love the fact that so many people have rescue dogs. That's a conversation I'm willing to have endlessly. And that's something that we can, me and the, and, and the people I'm talking to can relate to in ways that have nothing to do with my books. That's people relating to people. Um, and, and just posts like that, sharing movie links. Like uh, just recently, I had movie link up for the new, uh, the latest trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. You know, I have nothing, no personal stake in that at all other than liking movies. Put it up, lots of conversation going on. But when I do... I generally put up, you know, the link and I'll say either this looks interesting or thoughts, question mark, rather than front loading it with my opinion. I'm not looking for, for validation of my opinion. I know what my opinion is. I want to hear what their opinion is. And conversations like that make you part of the social community. And that helps writers become an ex part of the extended family of readers they're more likely to follow a writer who, had, who they have shared interests with, that they've been able to interact with on social media, much more than someone who just simply has a new book out. So that really helps a lot. Also, being visibly supportive of other writers really helps. Um, somebody else has a, somebody has a good review out, I'll, I'll, I'll repost it. If somebody's been unfairly attacked for their books, um, I'll, I'll go and say, you know, hey, someone is being unfairly attacked because his book happened to have an LGBTQT character in it. You know, um, do you think that's fair? Of course, most people are going to say it's not fair, but I but it shows the community is is the bias of the community is fairness. Mm -hmm. And we all get to see that little things like that. So what do you think, you know, having been in the business as long as you have been around been a leader in a lot of the different associations for writers. Mm -hmm. If I ask you to prognosticate, what do you think is coming that's going to be the, the big thing that affects us? Maybe the thing that people don't see in you know, behind the scenes. What do you think is really going to be affecting us as writers? In publishing? I think a lot of publishers are going to move to the print-on-demand model. Um, they're going to work either get uh, either buy the machinery themselves so they can print based on pre-order rather than on anticipated order. Um, I think it's going to keep publishing uh, financially healthy. Um, it's going to put a, a bigger push on the writer to push the readers toward pre-ordering. And I think that they will then wind up, they may have like a limited run for bookstores based on performance, uh, not only of you, but of books in that genre. But overall, I think we're going to see a, a, move toward uh, print-on-demand in bulk by the big houses. I think that's one thing coming down the road. What do you think about bookstores? Where do we, where do we kind of stand with what you see for mainly the mass market bookstores at this point? Uh, well, I'm a big fan of brick-and-mortar stores. Um, in fact, I was at one uh, this past weekend doing a book signing, little tiny corner place, and we would have packed crowd. Um, if you create a relationship with a bookstore staff, not just the owners, the staff, get to know the staff, become a patron of the store. It helps support that store. And if online, like when I uh, have a new book out, I'll, you know, I'll say you, you can order it from your favorite bookseller. But if you want a signed personalized copy, 
this is the bookstore to go to. Well, now you're supporting the financial health of the bookstore as well as um, creating a community and expanding the community around that bookstore to a national level or international mm -hmm. level. Um, bookstores struggle to survive, but the ones that lasted through COVID figured some things out. Like my favorite local bookstores, Mysterious Galaxy here in San Diego. Uh, new owners, uh, very social media savvy. Not only did they survive COVID, they actually flourished during COVID because they went heavy with their with their social media game, in, including when they do panels. And we've done either virtual panels with different writers, or they'll have someone like me or, or another bestseller come in and host the, the virtual book launch of somebody else's book. And as we're talking, any book that is mentioned, somebody from the bookstore is right there to put up a, a quick purchase link. So there's a lot of point of um, a lot of impulse by purchases. So instead of it just being a panel where you like a bookstore appearance where you might have, I don't know, your your family and friends and a, and a couple of loyals, you're now reaching a global community, certainly a national community, and the book sales for that store will will grow considerably big, uh, larger. Healthy for the bookstore, great for your publisher, great for you. Um, there's no downside to it. And the readers can get signed copies of books, you know, right away while you're there listening to you talk on, on, on the net. Bookstores that understand this and work with that model are on the curve, you know, the leading edge of the curve where they're going to survive. Bookstores that try to do things the old fashioned way where it's they rely on foot traffic, um, they may be selling to the dinosaurs because they'll be equally extinct, unfortunately. Um, and Barnes and Nobles, you know, that, that, that company has been, I love the company, but it's been struggling for a long time. Um, it, it, even though it's, it's brick and mortar, it struggles in, it, uh, competing against Amazon, the big, uh, the big monster. Um, they'll survive when they encourage their booksellers to know more about the books than simply where they're shelved. And, um, I, I'm starting to see that in certain stores and it's usually, um, a couple of folks within the store encouraging the the staff to really, you know, take some books home and read them, get to know the books. Well, and this is one of those things because a lot of the bookstores when I was growing up, you know, it, the people working in the bookstore were avid readers. Yeah. They loved what they did. And I've been in some Barnes and Nobles where that's true. And I've been in somewhere, obviously, it was just literally who can we get to staff and, and work the place. Yeah. I do absolutely much prefer working with and supporting small bookstores. You know, the indie bookstores, Park Road Books here in Charlotte does a fantastic mm -hmm. job. Um, so looking at some of these ideas of what's coming and what's changing and how some, how literally everything is changing in the digital market. There's a number of things that I've tried and piloted over the years. We've done and piloted stuff for different clients coming in and over the years. Um, I know a lot of people in the business that try and pilot a lot of different things. And fundamentally, it seems to be we always boil back down to the basics. You know, reaching people, creating good, meaningful connections and mm -hmm. making it easy for them to support us. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really kind of one of the biggest solutions that we've got out there. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's a weird little thing that when I was first getting into uh, the fiction world, um, my nonfiction stuff is mostly college textbooks and stuff. So I didn't have the same need to understand marketing as I do with fiction. Um, I found that a lot of writers feel that there is some acrimony between them, the, the, the publisher, the editor, the bookseller, 
uh, the trade salespeople selling to the bookstores and the booksellers that they they felt that they were there was an almost adversarial situation there where they should all be collaborative. Those people are helping to sell your book. Anything you can do, you should be willing to do. In fact, every time I get involved with a new book coming out, you know whether it's a traditional, whether it's the publisher I've been with or a new publisher I'm working with, I always ask, what can I do to help? How can I help you with this book? With you know, help help them with my book. How you know, how can I be part of that? They have suggestions. There are things that that I can do for free that they have to pay people to do. You know, um, and as writers, we're will you know we should be willing to do that because we don't need to take out paid print ads anymore. We don't need to to pay for expensive swag. We can do so much with social media that's free. So we should be willing to to make that part of our plan for our book. Working with uh, everyone on every part of the book industry, also getting to know the people. Like most people cannot name the trade salespeople who work for the publisher who sell their books to bookstores. I'd say 95% of writers have no idea. Um, Weirdly, most of my friends who are writers don't even have relationships with their audiobook readers. And that is completely astounding to me. Um, I, I, I've never understood that. Whether you like audiobooks or not, this person's an actor performing your work. How would you not want to know that actor? How would you not want to be part of that in some way? So being a part, willing to be a part. Now, they may say they don't need you to do something. Okay, fine. But they will remember that you asked. Mm-hmm. And they will remember that anytime they have had something for you to do, you did it without complaint, which means that they are willing to do more for you. And a good example of this, something that was told to me years ago by the uh, trade sales guy at Kensington Publishing. He said that, you know, when he would go to sit down with Borders or Barnes and Nobles, I have no idea how long this was, he would have a stack of cover flats with him. Basically, the, the unfolded cover of a bunch of books with, with information on the back, you know. And he w- he might bring... 100 cover flats to the meet, to the meeting with the buyers at Barnes & Noble. Now, if out of that 100, one or two writers have taken the time to get to know them, maybe send them a Christmas card, mm-hmm. who do you think is going to be, whose cover flat is going to be at the top of that stack? You know, it, it, a little kindness goes a very long way. And it's also wonderful to know that, you know, these people, these are people who don't get pats on the back. They don't even get recognized for existing. And yet we, if we do that, that validates them and it, it bonds them to us and it's a win-win. And I love win-win situations. Well, and I mean, it doesn't, I, it, I don't think people necessarily think in terms of the act of producing a book, all of the supply chain, all of the different business activities that go on from mm-hmm. the time that you put fingers to keyboard until that's sitting on a shelf. Yeah. And I mean, there it, it is a tremendous level of work that happens from a lot of people, most of whom, whether it's picking up and moving the box, loading the paper reels, you know, everything that goes along in that entire process is a huge chain. And yeah. I think that it's understanding that most people don't necessarily understand where it goes from point A to point Z. We yeah. see the, the writer has left their cave long enough to you know bemoan groan yes it is out in the world let me crawl back into my cave yeah you know it's interesting i i 
every once in a while I'll use Photoshop. I have a minor idea of how to use Photoshop. So for example, one year I was putting out a, a zombie book, right? So I, I um, made a digital Christmas card, which is basically me hanging zombie, uh, little zombies on my Christmas tree, you know, like kind of little images I cut out. I, I visited that, um, I sent them to different members of, of, of the staff of uh, one of my publishing houses. And when I, I happened to do a, a visit to New York and I have, you know, they would take me on a tour of the things, five or six different people had that card up, even though it was at the middle of summer, they still had the card up, you know, they've a little bit of kindness. What is it going to, you know, how much of your time does it really take to do something nice to acknowledge someone else's existence? But, right. you know, very little, but how long will they remember it? You know, well, I mean, well, you can't see the bookshelf behind me, but those are all signed. Um, I got a large collection of books that are signed, mostly by people I know. Yeah. Um, and it, again, I've given, you know, if, when I've been at hotels or for conventions and things like that, if somebody tells me that they're a big reader, here's a book. If I, you know, I, Great. Here you go. I would much rather do something like that to help support somebody in a fandom and introduce somebody to something new and, and be kind about that. Because again, at the end of the day, when people are running and working and supporting all the stuff we do, I do a lot of conventions. I do a lot of virtual stuff. Mm -hmm. When you can do a kindness for the people that support and make that enterprise easier, makes life a whole lot easier for everybody. It does. And um, also, for, a lot of people forget that at writers' conferences and pop culture conventions, most of the people there are volunteers. Mm -hmm. You know, take some time to say thank you. I mean, it's not it doesn't cost you a penny to say thanks. You know, I appreciate what you're doing. Um, if you're at a dinner at a, at a writers' conference, thank your server. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it 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 takes so little to make kindness a habit that you know it, it's it's a little thing. That just becomes a reflex and it should be there, you know, locked and loaded all the time. And it also just makes it fun to be around other people because it is it is a very contagious thing, I have noticed. It's a whole lot more fun to have fun than it is to. And I mean, again, everybody's got their own personality quirks. Everybody's got their own challenges. And not everybody is uh, necessarily as, uh, shall we call it, gregarious or extroverted. But there's definitely ways to build real, actual relationships. If you're going to go and be somewhere in person, be there. Yeah, and and also, I like following Ray Bradbury's Ten Commandments. When I was 13, he gave me the Ten Commandments for how to be a great writer. Don't be a jackass. Don't be a jackass. Don't be a jackass, and so on. Uh, really, really makes a lot of sense for, for the writing world and pretty much everything else. Don't be... A jackass. Be a good guy, you know? And you know, anyone who thinks that good guys finish last is not paying attention to how this works. That is so not the case. <clears throat> I, I know uh, from myself and from a few other writers I know who are um who have cultivated um affability, even if even if you know, like I, I was an intro very introverted kid. I, I got over it, but um I still remember what it's like to be introverted and so on. And um, I, I've noticed that that with um, uh, you know a number of my my writer friends who go out of their way to be um, there for other writers to help other writers and so on, 
a lot more work comes to them. Mm -hmm. Anthology editors start remembering the, the people that A, were fun to work with and B, were caused no problems. If they had a disagreement, it was settled amicably without drama. And, and as a result, everything moves forward and upward. Those people I know who are good-natured people get more work. If you're easy to work with, people are much more likely to want to work with you. Yep. And be aware of your own sins. Yeah, we all have them, but yeah, and, and it's true also in other fields. Like I have, I have some actor friends, um, Doug Jones, who does mm -hmm. a lot of the, uh, you know, um, Brent Spiner played Data. You know, there's a few few folks I know who are really just good natured, good hearted people. <laughs> people love working with them. Yeah, I got a story I'll tell you offline. Um, Brent Spiner is hilarious, um, yeah. and will work. It will pretty much you can buy it. You, you know, if you want something done, write him a check. But that's neither here nor there. Um, no, I've quoted his first book. A couple yeah, of well, I actually have a copy of it. Um, so not to jump too far afield, but uh, both of us were doing a conference, a writer's conference in Winston-Salem. No. Somewhere. Yes. It's in, it's here in North Carolina, not far from me in Charlotte. Um, I just, I was like, I started, never mind. Uh, but both of us were going to be at Saga's Writer's soccer writers conference and of course you are the headliner um so what do you want to tell people to prepare them to come and be amazed and awed well one of the things i i like about i mean i've never been to saga before but i i've i've talked to john hartness you know the guy uh, brains behind it and, um it focuses on the business side of writing mm -hmm. and, and there's only two conferences i know that really do that the other one is the one i'm going to next week which is superstars in uh, colorado springs but Saga focuses on the business side of writing. It, it, it is going to help people get further in their careers. That's the fun thing. Um, it, you know, part of my message, you know, I'm going to be giving a keynote is talking about, you know, good guys finish first, you know, talking about some of what we've talked about here and about friends who I've met along the way, people I've met along the way who have gone out of their way to help me with no visible benefit to them other than just that sort of generosity, that's a really important message because as each person takes another career step, they're going to meet people who are a step behind them. A little bit of advice, reaching a hand down, whatever, is going to matter a lot to that person. We should all be helping each other. Um, and then to also think about, you know, with Saga, uh, I know with John, you know, just his attitudes, he does not consider writing to be a competitive field. Nope. You know, he's one of those people that believes that um, writing, you know, the, the publishing world is a big playground and we need more kids in the playground. The more good books that get written, the more readers will be attracted to that larger number of good books. All of us will prop, prosper and all of us will have fun. That's the kind of attitude. You don't expect that to be the tone of a business conference, but it is for the better business conferences. And I have a feeling Saga is going to be a really memorable one. So, and I went to the, I was at the first saga, uh, as well. Um, but the two lessons that I, that I always preach, number one is always be teaching, always be learning because there's always somebody that knows something you don't, but there's always something, you know, that somebody else doesn't either. And that is true every single day. And that is true every single day. Um, and the other big one is this, you know, it's, is the old saying rising tide lifts all ships, but you better be on the boat when it goes out to sea. Yeah. Yeah, well, that that's that that speaks to that whole "don't get in your own way" thing. 
Uh, don't stand on the on, on the dock expecting the perfect boat. Get on a boat. Move forward. You know, be on a boat, and yeah, then. But um, so, is there anything else you think we ought to talk about? We haven't hit on tonight. Well, I think it's useful for for writers who don't know much about the business to to find out. And you know, you can go to to pub, I think it's Publishers Weekly new, uh, has a free newsletter. Um, I, my favorite newsletter is actually Publishers Lunch Deluxe. Now, granted, you have to subscribe to Publishers Marketplace, but I think that's useful too. And if you can't afford it, I'm not saying this out loud, but split the cost with somebody and share the login. Uh, aside from the fact that you've got a really great daily newsletter that tells you all of what's going on in publishing, uh, business side of it, trends, not that you should follow a trend, but you should be aware of where the market's flowing. Um, who's at what job, new, newly appointed agents and editors, uh, big big ticket news, like like the whole thing that happened with uh, random uh, uh, Penguin Random House and um, trying to buy Simon & Schuster. You, know, you should have known what that was going, what that was about, rather than trying to wait for a newspaper to have it, get it daily, get information daily. The other advantage to a site like that is it tracks 95% of the deals in publishing. And you get to see which agents are representing each deal. Like each deal listing has the name of the agent and the name of the editor. Who, agent who's repped it, editor bought it. Each one is a clickable link to their page. You can see their track record. So when you're ready to pitch, you can start building a very specific and targeted list uh, instead of a scattershot list. Little things like that help you get a, a better sense of how publishing works and also how it's changing. Anytime there is a change, like when um, uh, audiobooks went from CDs uh, and cassettes to digital streaming, that changed the audiobook world completely, changed its market share, changed its impact on writers, um, opened new doors, and so on. If you hadn't paid attention to that or are not paying attention to how that evolves, you're being left behind from what could be really good business opportunities for you. So the more you learn about publishing, the more you can navigate within publishing. And when you have an agent or, you know, when you get one or, you know, and get an editor, you're no longer a passenger in their car. You're driving. Um, you're, you're in command of your career rather than being told what's happening in your career by, you know, agents or editors. You are partners with them. The more you know about the business, the better you can you can use that business to advance yourself. And as a result, you know, you can be more likely become successful so that you can write as a, as a job, as your full time job, as opposed to, um, you know, writing whenever you can find half an hour. The more you know about business, the more opportunities you have to be able to write. And actually, let me ask you a question on that, because I, I and this is something I frequently have written and talked about over the years. Do you view writing as a job or as a business and as a business owner? Both. It is my job. I get up and I go to work in the morning, but I'm also the owner of a small business. Um, so I need to make sure that my business flourishes, that it's handled well. It, you know, I, I have a financial advisor and a tax guy. I have a, now I have an entertainment lawyer as well. Um, I, I, I need to know every part of my business so that I'm not accidentally flushing money that I shouldn't be flushing. I need, you know, I need to know it. So, um, you know, it's, it's a business, but the job of writing, I don't find anything weird with calling creativity a job. If I was a professional dancer and that's a hilarious thought, if I was a professional dancer, it, I'd be going to, if I went to the Broadway, you know, uh, theater, I'm going to work. Yeah. It is work. And because it's a job, I value my work product and the time invested in creating that work product more than if I was a hobbyist. 
So I, I, I put a higher value. And by the way, a long time ago, before I was even selling stuff, when I, you know, when I started pitching magazine articles, I was still in college. Every anytime I wrote something, like uh, I would set a word count. So say back in going to college and working a job, I could only write maybe 250 to 500 words a day, a couple of pages. I set my word count, my target word count at about 75% of what I thought I would probably do. When I reached that 75%, I put a buck or two in a jar. When I finished the draft, that money could only be used for fun. If I missed a day of work that I knew I, I, I was going to do, all of that money would have to come out and go to bills. So I paid myself even before I was getting paid. Now, even though I am, you know, I, I get paid for novels long before I write them, every day I hit my word count and it's still 75% of what I know I'll do because I don't want to hit, I don't want to set such a stress-inducing goal that I have to struggle to get there. I want to hit it along the way and then always exceed my expectations. But every day when I hit that goal, I go to uh, my vacation account, put, put money in the vacation account. Um, I still value each day's work as a day's work at my job for which I am paid. Jonathan, I appreciate you coming to hang out with me this evening. Oh, this was fun, man. And, um, you know, I think we covered a tremendous amount. And I mean, I could sit here and do this all night. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And we've done it more than a few times, but um, I appreciate you coming in. Um, Let everybody know where to come find all the good stuff. The easiest place to find me is just spell my name right. It's Jonathan M-A-B-E-R-Y. Spell like Ma Berry, but plants Mayberry. Search Jonathan Mayberry. You'll find my website. You'll find uh, all the social media places I am. And if you go to my website, and if you're a writer, there is a page in my website called Free Stuff for Writers that is exactly what it sounds. It's PDFs of everything from query letters to comic book scripts to how to write a synopsis. All of it's downloadable, free PDFs. Go grab whatever you want and share it with your writer friends. Well, we'll have to do this again, and I appreciate it. And other than that, we'll see you again next week, and go create. Right on.